I think I'm on. Yes, I am. Amen. Good morning, church. Uh, you know, you may have noticed I'm wearing a somewhat disturbing mask. It's Darth Vader, but it's my best one, so I apologize for being weird. Uh, welcome to everyone who's watching online. We're so glad to have you. And, you know, that was actually very fitting that we were on the fruit of the spirit of love because today we're going to be reading in John chapter 13. And in John 13, we're going to see Jesus perform a very selfless act of love to people who, many, you know, they all claim to be his disciples. And yet one of them is Judas, and he betrays Jesus. Another is Peter, who also disowns Jesus three times. And Jesus demonstrates incredible love even to them. And what we see is that God's love extends to all people, and especially to those in his household. And one of the things about the world that, that humans love to do is we love to make groups, right? You may say, you're either this or you're that. And we love to divide right down the middle and make a line and separate people. And I think almost all of those lines are illusory. They're not real, except for the line in the kingdom of God. You're either in God's household or you're not, right? And so we can draw lines like, oh, you're either black or you're white. And the reality is you're, either, you're human either way. So is that line real? You know, we draw these lines, and they, they divide us. You know, some social scientists have recently done some work. They're trying to understand the political landscape of America. And they found that America is more divided than ever before, excepting just prior to the Civil War. So I don't know what that means. It doesn't mean necessarily there's going to be another Civil War. But there's a lot of division out there. There's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of name-calling and actually distorting each other to make your points, right? People seem to find it to be valuable to do these things. And so what Jesus demonstrates is that we can't act that way, especially to those in the household of God. Let's pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, we just praise you. We praise you for your word and the riches that it contains you know, as Ellen was reading in Ephesians 1, just the spiritual riches that we have in Christ and the reconciliation that we have between different, you know, groups of people, different ethnicities or nations or whatever it may be, God, you've brought us all together if we are following you in one household. And I pray that today we can understand how to conduct ourselves in your household. Amen. Amen. So, you know, like I said, there's this tendency in our world to divide. And, and I have a strong tendency. Uh, I don't know if it's because I'm just a thinker and I just I spend a lot of time just, just, I debate myself in my head like all the time. I just do that. It's what I do. And, and I start to come up with sides through that, right? I try to get precision of thought. And a lot of times what happens, though, is I have to create a, a version of the opposition in my own head, right? So I may say, this is what I believe is true. And then I have to create a version of that to oppose me. And so a lot of times what I actually end up doing, honestly, is distorting the opposition in order to do this. And this is so common that what happens is that, that we actually demonize people, right? We say, okay, okay, they, they're the demons, and I'm the good guy because this is what they believe. And when you actually ask them what they believe, oftentimes, that's not what they believe. You're like, oh, man, I just... I created what they call a straw man. It was really easy to beat up, but it's not reality. And so, you know, I have this tendency. And I found that this is actually creeping into my own household to some extent with Ivy and I, where 
we can have a conversation. And some of it is we have genuine disagreements, right? Sometimes you do genuinely just say, I just don't agree with what you think. But sometimes I create in my head this thing of like, this is what Ivy thinks about what I think. Therefore, I can't even tell her what I think because she's going to be very upset or hurt. Or this is what she's going to respond. I already know. I already know everything she's going to say. Right? So it creates this division. And Jesus said in Matthew 12, Jesus said this. Uh, sorry, verse 22. He, uh, sorry, verse 25. Jesus, it says, knew their thoughts. Oh, wow. <laughs> Jesus knew their thoughts. Okay, but I can't do that, so I better quit trying. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You know, Jesus makes it very clear, when a household is divided, it does not stand. You know, Abraham Lincoln famously used those words in a speech prior to the Civil War. And so this is true. We see it happen where people, when they get divided and they fight, it destroys what's around them. And it destroys the household. And Jesus, very wisely, he starts with the concept of a kingdom, right? Big deal, big, lots of people in a kingdom. He moves to a city. And then he says, okay, but also what about a household? You know, a lot of times what's going on in the kingdom around us, the United States, or wherever we may happen to live, I think we're all from America here, there, it can enter into our households and create a poison that destroys relationships. And here's what Jesus is really talking about. As much as this applies to my household and the Pullis household, and it applies to Tom's household, everybody's households, he's actually talking about the kingdom of God. And he's saying that can enter into the kingdom of God and destroy it. But above all, Satan's household will fall because it is already divided. You know, when you think about every nation that has ever existed, you know, none of them are still around. If we take long enough, they all disappear. I believe, in my opinion, the longest lasting nation was the Roman Empire. 1,500 years. There's, no, I'm sorry, 2,000 years. They're gone. They don't, nobody thinks about like, hey, I'm a Roman anymore unless they live in the city of Rome because that country is gone because it became divided against itself. That happens to every nation. But there's one nation where it cannot happen and that is the kingdom of God. And so the question is, right, are we going to allow the divisions of the world to enter the kingdom of God? This doesn't mean that we'll never have genuine disagreements with somebody. I remember once I was talking to a sister, and uh, we, were, we are good friends, actually. And this was when I lived in Minneapolis, but we were in Africa together. And somehow or another, you know, the political question of two things came up. It was kind of bizarre. Abortion and education. Uh, those are two quite different ideas, but we were talking about both of them. And at one point, you know, I said something to the effect of what I believed, which is abortion should be illegal. And this sister said, well, I know it's wrong, but we shouldn't legislate morality. And, and I got upset. I'm like, of course we should. Le we always legislate morality. That's what legislation is. And, you know, I kind of lashed out. Now, it didn't destroy our relationship. We're still good friends. But that was not the right response. See, this is my tendency. It's like, well, you're just wrong. And instead of explaining to you why, I I'm just going to lash out because I feel a certain way. 
And so this is the, the, the temptation that we face, is to bring the divisions of the world, right? This sister was coming from a different background than me, different way of thinking, and she wasn't being malicious. It's not like, you know, she just hates unborn children. That's not what she was getting at. She just had a different viewpoint about legislation than I did. You know, every person ultimately becomes sort of a port of entry into God's household. If you're in God's household, you're a port of entry into his typically just walk right in. There's actually places where you're allowed in, right? So that may be a port like city of San Diego or Los Angeles where you take a boat and you arrive. Or New York, famous, right? Ellis Island, people come in through the port. And what you bring in with you matters, right? I mean, this is a weird example, but people brought worms from Europe over to America and they kind of wiped out the native worms. It's a problem, actually. It's a weird problem, but it matters a little bit. But the things that we bring with us in our hearts matter even more. You know, when I got baptized, I didn't suddenly stop being Grayson. I was renewed. I was rejuvenated. I was a different person. But there were still parts of me that I brought in to the kingdom of God that have had to be refined out. My argumentativeness, my, my whatever that is, that pride and anger that comes with that. That has to be refined in me. What are you bringing into God's kingdom? What kind of port are you? You know, Judas was a port into the kingdom of God. In John 13, we're going to read here what kind of port he was. It says, it was just before, sorry, verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Think about what kind of port Judas was. The devil prompted him. If that could happen to Judas, who was in the presence of Jesus, the physical presence of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of Israel, he was sitting there and the devil was prompting him. It can happen to you too. And so be very careful about whose voice you're listening to. Because he will find a way. He will tempt you. And we're all susceptible to it. So the devil prompts Judas Iscariot and Jesus knew. <laughs> Such a contrast here between Judas and Jesus here. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You know, think about Jesus here. He knows that God has put all things under his power. That is such a powerful... I mean, the magnitude of that statement, coming from this Christian community, you know, the, the Apostle John writing this, he was later imprisoned by the Roman Empire. He doesn't sound like a very powerful dude. And he claims to serve this King Jesus that we saw in John chapter 12. And Jesus says, oh, I know that everything's under my power. I mean, he's, Jesus sounds so, you know, that idea, like, so confident. Like, everything's under my power. I'm not worried about a thing. So why don't I get down here and I wash your feet? How much of what we do comes from our insecurities? You know, Judas, he betrayed Jesus for money. Why? Why did he want money? Perhaps he was insecure about the future, and he thought, money will secure what I need. 
Maybe he thought that. I don't know. He was greedy and covetous. I know that. But Jesus was incredibly secure in the position God had given him. And so he did not hesitate to serve others. Oftentimes when we feel insecure, we withdraw. And so we need to find our security and our strength in God. And in Jesus, knowing we don't need to know that God has put all things under our feet, we need to know that God has put all things under Jesus' feet. And we can put our security in that. Judas clearly did not know that. He was not convinced. So Jesus is drying everyone's feet. He's, he's washing them and drying them. And he finally he goes around the whole table and he comes to Simon Peter. And it says in verse 6, He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? You know, Peter said this because, of course, it makes no sense for his Lord to wash his feet. In their context, that's the sort of thing that a servant does. And so he's like, no, no, don't wash my feet, Jesus. That's just silly. You know who I am. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Oh, now, now he's getting a little bit commanding. Right? He starts out with the very humble, Lord, don't wash my feet. I'm just, you know, a regular guy. You're the, you're the Lord. And, and then when Jesus actually pushes back, no, you don't get it. I'm going to wash your feet. Peter says, no, 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 don't wash my feet. You see how all of a sudden he becomes prideful? It was very quick, right? His humility turned to pride. But Jesus, of course, continues. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You know, we can't fix the world and the interactions that they're having right now. In the hatred and the vitriol about COVID-19 and racism and all the stuff that's flying around. We can't fix that. All we can do is in the kingdom of God, how do we actually treat one another? How do we treat one another? You know, in the, in the book of John, there's a consistent theme that we've been born into a new household. In John 1.12, in John 3.5, in John 8.42-47, this theme is brought up. And it's clear that John wants us to believe that. You're in a new household if you're in the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul uses that same language in Galatians 4. We saw in Ephesians 1, he said, you've been adopted because of the Son. In Romans, it's all over the place, but in Romans 8 especially, We've been adopted into a new household. And so all our old allegiances, right? I mean, when I was growing up, I thought of myself primarily, I'm a pullist, right? Where what we do is we play great basketball and we're tall and we're awesome. And that's what we do. And when I entered the kingdom of God, I had to reject some of my pullistness, okay? I had to reject some of the quibbling and the arguing nature that I had with my brothers. And instead, love the brothers in the church. 
I had to reject my total inability to ever speak to a woman because now I have sisters, so I gotta like actually talk to them, you know? I mean, seriously, I don't think I said a word to a single woman besides my mother for 20 years. And so, you know, so it's, well, it's like, man, you have to change because you repent and you're in a new household. You know, in Ephesians, it says that we should do good to everyone. And we all go, amen, but especially to the household of believers. All right, and so Jesus says, I'm your Lord and your master. I'm the Lord over this household. Look how I've treated you. So you need to do the same for each other. And so these are the ground rules, right? When you enter a house, you, you don't know the rules. You're kind of waiting, like, somebody tell me, what, how am I supposed to act here? You know, can I, can I go in the fridge? I want to snag some, some root beer, you know? I actually did that one time, and I got yelled at, and I was like, okay, never again. <laughs> I'll just wait until they tell me it's okay, right? Because the head of the house sets the rules, and Jesus set a rule. Love your brother and sister, okay? And he's going he's gonna to really lay down that rule in verse, so he, he goes on, right? But in verse 33, Jesus really, or 34, he really lays down the law in his household. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now remember that in the context, Jesus treated Judas the same way that he treated Peter. He washed his feet too. Did Jesus know that Judas was going to betray him? Absolutely. Did Jesus decide, therefore, to be like, Judas, get out of here, I don't like you? No. He, he waited. He, he, he served Judas, and he waited for him to make his decision. Matter of fact, at one point he says, okay, go do what you were going to do, Judas. <laughs> Jesus is so calm about this. Go do it. It's fine. You decided, go for it. Peter, who denies him three times, Jesus doesn't say, okay, Peter, you're, you're worthless to me, I can't wash your feet. He says, I'm going to wash your feet, and you're going to be part of me, even though you will disown me three times. Right? So Jesus loved even his enemies within his own household. How much more should we love one another? Even if we have genuine disagreements. And we should avoid painting everyone else's disagreements with us as disingenuous, as if somehow... They're just really trying to be evil, you know? When this sister said to me, well, I don't think we should legislate morality, my response could be, and kind of was, oh, that's super evil and you're messed up. Or it could be, okay, sister, I understand. Can I explain to you why I think that doesn't make any sense? <laughs> or maybe it's like, okay, can we agree that abortion is wrong? Can we agree? And that's where we landed, right? We actually did find some agreement. But Jesus treated even his enemies this way. You know, in 1914, the Germans, the British, and the French had been fighting for five months. And on Christmas Day, the, this is a quote I want to read you guys. It says this. When the Christmas bells sounded in the villages of the Vosges, that's a part of France, behind the lines, something fantastically unmilitary occurred. German and French troops spontaneously made peace and ceased hostilities. Why did they cease hostilities? Because in their own minds, now whether or not they were is another question that I'll leave open to God, but they viewed themselves as Christians, and so when they heard the Christmas bells, they said, okay, time to act like a Christian. And they put down their guns. I mean, these are people who were raised to believe in Jesus, and they were shooting each other for five months. 
But at the mere thought that, oh, this is Christmas, they said, okay, enough of that. Why should we not view every day like it's Christmas? You know, I'm not talking about presents. I'm talking about the peace of God. The peace of God where it says, okay, I, I can't help but submit to the kingship of Jesus, so I don't use these weapons anymore, these weapons of hate and violence. I use the weapons of spiritual warfare, which demolish all the arguments that the devil puts up against us. You know, that's what, that's what Judas failed to do. Judas failed to combat the devil and instead combated Jesus. And if only he had said, hey, Jesus, the devil prompted me to betray you, but I, but I need some help. He could have overcome. I truly believe that. No, he didn't. Right? So Jesus is laying down the rules in his household. And you know, the world, they may claim Christianity and they may act in certain ways, but we need to be set apart. We need to look, people need to say, how in the world does that guy get along with that gal? Because they're very different. How is that happening? How is it that the Germans and the French in our church are great friends when Germany and France are at war? Or actually a more recent example, Russia and the Ukraine. There's a lot of tension in our churches over there because Russia was invading Ukraine and the Ukrainians were rightfully upset. But the brothers and sisters needed to stay united. The Ukrainians in the church couldn't say, okay, all the Russians get out, we're sick of you. Because look at what Putin did. Right? No, they said, okay, we still love you. You're still part of our household. That is the solution to all these problems. Now, you may have opinions about political things, and you may feel them so strongly that you have to act. But let's be careful not to judge others who disagree. But here's one question I want to ask you. How do you treat your overzealous brothers and sisters who say wrong or untrue or perhaps frightful things like Peter? Untrue. I won't disown you, Lord. Untrue. Or, <laughs> I would never disown you. Well, it's exactly what he did three times, right? He's prideful. But Jesus treated him with love. And when, when he repented, Jesus restored him to a good relationship. So a few practical scriptures. Colossians 3. Actually, really just one. Colossians 3. It says... In verse 8, he says, But now you must also rid yourselves of all things such as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self. Right? The old Polis household guy is gone. I still love the Polis household. But I'm a new man in the kingdom of God. So you have put off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, since you are all one in Christ already, see, sometimes we think about reconciliation between different groups and we think about the future, and we think, oh, that's when it'll happen. No, God has already done it. Now you need to act like it. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. 
You know, there's no reason he would say that unless there was problems. Bear with each other because you all agree perfectly all the time. No, of course not. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. And he goes on. There's really no more practical passage than that one. When we want to think about how we ought to conduct ourselves towards each other, even when we have genuine disagreements. You know, the, the groups that he listed, it's not like there wasn't a history of tension. I mean, he says, barbarian, even that word is offensive. Barbarian means people who don't know how to talk. And he chose to use that word. He says, there's no such thing. You, you know, you Greeks may have said all those people who spoke, and you know what, actually a lot of the barbarians looked like me. A lot of people don't know this. The barbarians were the Celts, the Celts, you know, we call them Irish. So they were like, hey, all those Irish, all those barbarian dudes, yeah. No, there, there's no such thing, you Greeks. And you barbarians, there's no Greeks. You know, because they had these legitimate historical wars against each other over things like this. And he says, nope, not in Christ. Now act like it. Act like it. Show the love that Jesus showed when he washed their feet. And above all, right, he says, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. So as we turn to communion, I want us to think about, just for a moment, about the power of the cross, right? He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. All of this unity is impossible apart from the cross and apart from its power. You know, we can't possibly forgive someone unless we've already been forgiven. I genuinely believe that because it's so, maybe we can, but it's so hard. But when we say, okay, Jesus forgave me for all that stuff that I did, then I can forgive, I mean, not that we have anything, but Kathy, you know. Not that Kathy did anything, but I can forgive her. Yeah. Right? And so we could say, okay, I can forgive because of the cross. All of this is impossible apart from that. And so I want us, as we take communion, I want us to really reflect on the peace of God that can rule and how the divisions of the world cannot enter here if we ward them away with the cross. Like, just get out of here. Like those vampire movies. <laughs> you know, it's like all that evil. We just push it away with that heart and that mindset of Jesus' cross. Amen? So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we just, we just thank you that uh, you have blessed us with the tremendous forgiveness and joy in Christ. And I pray that we can extend that blessing to everyone that we cannot be like Judas who allowed the devil to enter the kingdom of God by his lack of vigilance, by his lack of, who knows, studying your word or perhaps really just praying. Uh, something was going on there that allowed that to happen, Lord, and I pray that uh, you would help us to not be that way, but to bring peace and joy into all our relationships in our households, even in, our, in this kingdom of the United States, but in your kingdom especially. And Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.